We are continuing with our Awaken sermon series. And this month at Clay Church, we're examining the prophets and this theme that appears throughout the Old Testament, throughout the prophets, and particularly throughout the Psalms. But then it appears again in the New Testament, this invitation to wake up. And in this invitation of the prophets is a, is a call to, to wake up to those who are hurting and those who are suffering to wake up to what upsets God and, and what God sees. So the last couple of weeks we have examined Isaiah, the first part of Isaiah, and last week we talked about Amos. Today we're going to talk about the prophet Obadiah. It's a quick little poll. How many of you know something about Obadiah? All right, uh, three hands. One is a pastor. Uh, actually, there are four. Two were in devotions with me this week. Thank you for paying attention. And, uh, and one other congregation member. That's good. How many of you did not even know Obadiah was in the Bible? It's okay. You can admit it. There were people in the first service like, I didn't even know Obadiah was a book in the Bible. Here's a little note. If you don't know anything about Obadiah, we're going to talk about Obadiah today. So that's good. But also, if you're ever in a Bible study where each person is assigned a book of the Bible that they have to study, pick Obadiah. It's only one chapter. You'll be able to get right through it. It's not necessarily easy to understand, but it's only one chapter. Like Isaiah, 50, 50 60, lots of chapters. Obadiah, one, one chapter. So we're going we're gonna to dive into Obadiah today. Let's pray. Holy God, we give thanks for the opportunity to be in your presence today, and I just, I just pray that as we hear the words of Obadiah, you might let them speak to us this day. May we learn, may we grow, may we deepen our relationship with you, may we see what you see, and ultimately, may we be filled to overflowing and carry forth the message of your love in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I am excited, thrilled today to introduce a a friend in ministry to join me for this conversation today. Carl Hetler is going to join me up here today. Pastor Carl Hetler is the coordinator for homelessness in the city of South Bend. He's uh, new to that role. Uh, Before that, he served as a uh, associate pastor at Evangel Heights United Methodist Church and at Epworth uh, United Methodist and Broadway United Methodist here in South Bend as, as well. And it's just such a blessing to have Carl here today. We've been working together in ministry. Carl's been part of our uh, Stephen uh, ministry, been part of Stephen Ministries, and the connection that we, our Stephen ministry is also a part of. Carl, I want to add to that. What else should we know about, know about Carl? It's just great to be here and to be able to... Am I on? Oh, there, there we go. It's great to be here, great to be able to, uh, to share about all the things that are going on and really to take all the experiences that I've had in local ministry to now apply across the city of South Bend. You get to visit different churches and work with a lot of different organizations that are looking to care for people. Uh, we have a lot of different resources in our community that are trying to help connect people with what they need. We also have a lot of hurting people. People are on the streets, people are in shelters, uh, people are struggling uh, on their own. And so it's great to be able to share today about all the different things that are going on and how this message from Obadiah applies to our lives as well. Yeah, and, and I thank Carl for being here. Uh, one of the things we wanted to do this month was, uh, was study the prophets, but then think about how, how do those words speak into the context today? And I couldn't think of anybody better than Carl today to, to help us think about that and, and his, uh, what is a, a ministry. Uh, it's just so great to have a pastor in that role coordinating how we, how we reach out. 
So we're gonna, we are going to talk a little bit about Obadiah today. Let me just give a, a little bit of context and, and background that I think will help us understand some of what Obadiah is, is saying to the people then and hopefully to us today. Obadiah is speaking a little bit different than the other prophets. Obadiah is speaking to the people of Edom, E-D-O-M. And to give you an idea, we should know who those people are. The, the, uh, the Bible tells the story of Jacob and Esau. Um, and Jacob and Esau are brothers, twins. And uh, Esau is born first, Jacob comes after. But in the story, Jacob ends up with the birthright for the family. So he becomes kind of the, the leader of the, of the people of God in this birthright. And, uh, and we know that that causes some tension between he and his brother Esau. But at the end of the story... They reconcile, and Esau and his descendants become the people of Edom. And they settle just to the, just to the southeast of, of what we know as the Holy Land, the, the, the southeast of Israel and, and Judah. And one of the things to note then is that as, as the people of Edom, we can think of them like a long-lost brother. Like there are other neighbors around Judah and Israel and the Moabs and the Phoenicians and the Philistines and, and they're all maybe distantly related but, but not directly related. But Edom is Edom's like a part of the family, like a long-lost brother of the family. And so most of the rest of the prophets speak directly to Judah and Israel, but this one is like turning to the brother and saying, I've got a message. God has a message for you as well. Uh, a couple other little things to know about the people of Edom. They were known as the Idumeans, and they lived in this region that is kind of modern-day Jordan. And uh, they began as nomadic, but they, but they also started to settle. You're going to see a, a picture in, on screen, I hope, in a moment that is a, is a canyon um, that is in this area. It's one of the areas where we know there were settlements. The settlements date back 7,000 years here. We know the Idumeans lived here. And this is actually a, a rather famous site called Petra. And there's this canyon that goes into where the, the settlement is. So they picked these areas either in the cliffs or, or protected by the rocks where they would live because they were beginning to get wealthy. They were at the center of the spice trade of the empires. All the spice trade passed through. And through hospitality and taking part in the spice trade, they were, they were beginning to gather great wealth. And they put their wealth then into these communities, into these developments. And if you visit Petra today, you go through this canyon and you come out and you get this glimpse of what they put their money into, which were these grand buildings carved out of the rock. Now, some of you may recognize this. You may recognize it even more in just a moment, because if you've seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, what did you say about it earlier? The last good movie. The last good Indiana Jones movie. Um, <laughs> we could debate that, but uh, the... Uh, 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 Indiana Jones made this famous, but this area dates back. And I just, a quick disclaimer, if you go there thinking you're going to enter this building and go through chambers and find treasure, it, they each only have a single chamber. We actually, they actually believe that they were burial chambers. Some of them may have been used for meeting functions, but for the most part, they remained nomadic. They lived in tents and, uh, uh, they lived in tents and in, uh, in caves, but then they carved these as essentially mausoleums to their, their dead and places to protect their wealth. 
all this wealth that they developed. So hold all of that in, in mind. Essentially, what we need to know about this people is they lived in these areas that were fortified in the rocks and at the cliffs. The very next picture is going to show you. If you go all the way up through Petra, you end up um, with this view, and you can see, they could see their enemies coming from miles around, and they could fortify the one entrance to their community. They, they thought they were safe, which takes us to Obadiah. This is what Obadiah says to these people. The vision of Obadiah, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Adam. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the cleft of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Have you heard the saying, pride goes before the fall? Here, here it is. Right? Obadiah says, you're going to fall because of this pride. And we might ask, okay, so, so we hear this message that, that the community is going to fall apart, that they're going to fall. Why? Like, why is God upset? Why does God have this message for the people? And Obadiah goes on to, to share more. As Carl and I were talking about this, uh, Carl pointed out uh, a chiasm. And we've talked a little bit about, Carl, you want to take, t tell them what a, what a chiasm is for those? Yeah. So you see the outline there, where as opposed to just being a, a linear progression that gets to the main point in the middle and then backtracks to review the same points again. So you can see the, the structure there that starts with uh, God's message and then ends with God's message. But in the middle, it gives a, a challenge to the people that focuses on what you see there in red about the boasting that people are doing that God was challenging them about through the through the prophet Obadiah. Yeah, thanks, Carl. I, I, uh, I actually, I, I love chiasms, and I was reading Obadiah and missed, in fact, missed this one. Chia we often miss chiasms because we read in, in English and we don't think about it, but in, in Eastern storytelling, in Eastern communication, the chiasm was a wonderful way to highlight usually something that repeats or something in the middle. It's like, this is, if you see the chiasm, you're going to look at it, you're going to go, this is what, what you should be paying attention to. Right? I'm going to read these verses with the chiasm on the screen. I just want you to hear this, this flow to essentially the, the core of why God is upset, what, what is upsetting God, and then back out to the consequences. Starting at verse 10, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered in shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof, while strangers carried off his, meaning Judah's wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march to the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. 
Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. So we hear these words, this, this chiasm, and I think one of the questions is how do, how do we relate to these words today? And like, what if we thought about these words in today's context? Like, how do, how do Obadiah's words begin to speak to us today? And, and we might just start with, with consequences. And we talked a little bit last week in our message about, like, I think there are two ways to think about the consequences of the prophets. One is God punishing God's people for what they've done wrong. And that's not a bad way to think about it. But we also realize, right, that when community falls apart— when, communi- when, when people are hurting and hungry and at odds with each other, right, the community is weaker as a whole. And so in some ways, the consequences are the, the way that God designed us for community. And when we turn away from community, we, we experience the, the consequences. Carl, I, I just want to invite as we reflect today, like, how do we reflect on these consequences today? How do we think about our own community weakening? Where do, where do we see it? We see a lot of different ways coming out of the pandemic where we see that we've become disconnected from one another. It's hard to always gather physically. Uh, We find that we have those broken relationships and we are less connected to one another. But then there's also less resources uh, that we have because of that lack of trust and lack of relationship. And we won't really even get into issues like gun violence uh, that that continue to plague our society today that contribute to that sense of of fearfulness, that sense of anxiety, and that separation and breaking that community that we so uh, much need in our lives. Yeah. As as we think about that that pain in the community and and how how it ends up being experienced, the fear, uh, the next thing Obadiah says, right, is he talks about them uh, taking advantage financially by others. Where, where do we see financial hardship? Um, obviously, in your role, you see, you see the worst of it. Where, where is that happening in our, in our community today? We see that at places like Broadway Christian Parish that serves breakfast uh, to people in need four mornings a week. The numbers have been going up over the past year because there's more people in need. In my new role, I've been looking at other places such as First Methodist and their soup kitchen, see increasing needs where they're serving 100 people in person and sending out 200 bags uh, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So we see that, that food need that you all talked about last week uh, that is so difficult for people. Uh, but there's other ways that finances impact people's housing. Uh, eviction court has reopened uh, since the end of the pandemic. There's 40 people every week in St. Joseph County that are being evicted from their housing and having to find other places to be able to stay. As many of you know, rents are increasing, uh, and so that is creating more of a burden for people also as prices go up and there's less affordable housing in our community. And at the federal level, we're coming to an end of a lot of the COVID and ARP, American Rescue Plan dollars uh, that have been able to help keep people housed and provide different resources, and so we're seeing an end there. And I'm sure you all can think about, you go to the grocery store, the gas station, the increase in prices that you see there for food and other basic necessities, all that means that there's less that's available for people to pay for those higher rent prices. And so one of the things we realize from this message of Obadiah is that we shouldn't be prideful ourselves. If you've got a job, if you've got uh, a place to live, if you have a mode of transportation, that can be taken away at any time. 
And so we should realize how difficult it is for all of us as a community, not just those on the margins or those in extreme difficulties, but we all are in positions with this tenuous economy where any one of us could have our lives disrupted. And so Obadiah's message speaks to all of us that no matter our amount of wealth and safety and security, our lives can be interrupted, and we should listen to what Obadiah has to say to us. Yeah, I think one of the things we're going to kind of keep coming back to this with Obadiah is, is his message of you can't just stand by. Right? I mean, he has this message, you can't just stand by while this is, is happening. That essentially the people were being invaded by the Babylonian Assyrians. Judah and, and Israel both fall, and, and it sounds like Edom just stood by and, and let them fall. Um, so Obadiah has a, has a message that says, like, pay attention. I know our, uh, you mentioned the numbers. Our food pantry, many of you know this. Um, I know it's at least doubled uh, in the last uh, five years or so. It's maybe tripled in the number of families it's served. That may be a pastor blowing up numbers. But uh, Sue's looking at me like, <laughs> I wouldn't go quite that far. But I know it's doubled in the number of people we're serving here too. But I, I also think it's worth uh, kind of us thinking more about this concept of boasting while others are suffering. And I think we think, I think, I know I think, I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not celebrating that other people are suffering. I'm not, I'm not prideful in that sense about it. But, but in the context, one of the things Obadiah is, is saying, I think, to the people is, right, these people are suffering and hurting and walking right by you, and, and you're just going on living as though it didn't happen. Your boasting is just ignoring the, the problem and living as though everything is, everything is good. Um, as we think about the people struggling, what are, what, are, what are we walking by? What are we not seeing? What, what are ways our pride blinds us to what's really happening in our community? Right, because the chiasm talks about the actions of injustice and inequality, but at the heart of the matter, that, that X to that point, is really the, the attitude, the emotions, the heart issue that Jesus talks about, that he challenges his listeners to also. And so it's the heart of things like looking down on others and despising others, even when they're dealing with struggles. So for a lot of people who are dealing with housing issues, we see addiction as a major issue that people are dealing with. And one of the things that's important to understand is how much there is outside of people's control that contributes to their addiction. For many people, they have adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, and there's lots of training that goes on in our community to help us be better aware of the ways that the trauma that people experience as children cause them to turn to the short-term fixes, to relieve the pain, to forget those harmful memories, even though there's long-term consequences in the future, how we often look for a momentary relief when we've been traumatized, when we've been taken advantage of. And for many people who are on the street now, that happens in their childhood, and they're still dealing with the repercussions of that as adults. And one of the things that Obadiah uh, talks about in, throughout this uh, chapter is about the loss of hope. And that's often what it is for people who are dealing with addictions. And so instead of despising them, looking down on them, boasting that we're better, we should realize how much people need a, a message of hope. One of the people that I know from Broadway uh, had been abused as a child and so turned to drugs early. But when he was clean and in his right mind, he wanted to be able to help out. And we would encourage him at Broadway to give back and to help in the food pantry, to help clean up, to help other guests. And he was great at that. But it's so disheartening to see that cycle of, of addiction, though, that would keep reclaiming him, that would draw him back because it was such a struggle. And we would take time to encourage him. We would pray with him, get him connected with N.A., but still, it was a cycle that he kept falling back into, where he'd hurt himself and he'd hurt his girlfriend also. But it didn't mean that we would look down on him, didn't boast that we thought we were better. But we would keep trying to support him and care for him, to be that support for him. 
If you follow some of the news about the opioid settlements that are currently um, going out, we see that this is an issue that could affect anyone with the way that some of the painkillers have been distributed. People have gotten addicted without even realizing how strong and addictive different painkillers were. And so it's a reality that we should also not be boastful because any one of us could have an accident, a surgery, a need for pain medication that suddenly overtakes our lives because it's much more stronger and powerful than we realized. And so large percentages of our population have been affected by opioids. And so anyone could be impacted by that. And so we shouldn't boast because we realize any one of us could fall into a difficult situation like an addiction that could wreck our lives and cause a cycle that takes a lot of support and care to break out of. Yeah. For me, there's, a, there's an invitation in this to, to really see people. Um, I, I think, I, I know for me, I can't say that this is true of, of most of us, but I, I have a sense this is true. When we see somebody who is in prison or did something awful or is addicted to drugs, we'll often say they made a bad choice and these are the consequences and, and they have to live with them. And that, that may be true. I mean, as a, as a, as a society, we, we also have to have some, uh, some format in place to, for safety and protection. But what we lose in that is, man, some of these kids, they didn't have a chance. There was nobody to show them the right way. And some people who are addicted to drugs, they didn't, they didn't have a chance. They didn't choose this in the sense of, I want to do a bad thing. I want to do this. They, they found themselves there. And then they find us as a society as a whole that judges them as less than and, and unholy and a problem. Um, what, what, what would it look like? I think I ask myself when I read Obadiah, what would it look like to, to just go back to this is a brother or sister in God's creation, how would I want to treat my brother and sister? Uh, it doesn't mean easy, easy answers. And I know, Carl, you've got experience with like prison reentry too that's a part of this. Right, and addictions are tough because it takes a lot of professional skilled services. And one of the things we're missing in South Bend is the detox center. Uh, we lost our grant at Life Treatment Center for that. And so it's, we don't have as many resources to help people break that cycle of addiction. But doing things like uh, housing first, getting people housed, even if they're not yet uh, clean of their addiction, has been successful with the motels for now at the old Knights Inn here in South Bend to get people the support, to get them stabilized. And we've been very successful. We just placed our 55th person uh, this year in housing out of the motels because we've taken the initiative to work with people, uh, even if everything's not together in their life. It's making a big difference the work uh, that Our Lady of the Road and Catholic Worker are doing out at motels for now. But uh, people coming out of jail is another category that we can often look down on and despise people because of often the the wrong choices they've made and the the consequences they've paid. But if we truly believe in in a God of redemption, in a God of restoration, in a God of new beginnings, then we should look for opportunities to be gracious and extend new opportunities to people. Uh, The term currently uh, that I think is helpful is calling people returning citizens to give people a sense of dignity and worth. I think of one guy that I've worked with uh, who's come out and be able to start his own cleaning business. And he's been so successful with different contracts that now he's able to hire other people who are returning citizens to give them job opportunities to be able to be able to get a new step, a new opportunity, a new start to their life. And we have lots of different resources that are working throughout South Bend. Uh, the Dukem Center helps people uh, get established as they, as they return. A Dismas House is a place that provides housing to people coming out of jail. And there's the Beacon Resource Center that is run through Riverside Church over on the west side by the airport that is also collaborating with how to help returning citizens. All these are resources and examples of ways that we cannot look down on people and we cannot shame them. We cannot stay separate. 
but instead welcome them back into community, to build relationships with people, to offer resources that we have, to give people another, ch another opportunity, another chance. It's a message of hope that we're going to see at the end of, of Obadiah that we can look forward to. Yeah. Unfortunately, before we get to the message of hope, there's, there's one more piece of Obadiah before we get there. As, he, as he's coming back out, he says to the, to the Babylonian, or to the, to the people of Edom, um, uh, essentially, not only did you watch it happen, but then you participated in it. And I, I have this in my, in my head. I think um, my guess is that the people of Edom were like, no, no, we, we didn't do, like, we didn't hurt those people directly. Uh, sure, we, we took some things from the Babylonian Empire as they offered them to us that they were carrying out of there to keep the spice trade going, but, but we didn't do anything directly. And, and this is where, this is kind of, this is where the prophets, I think, at least for me, can be a little uncomfortable, because now it's going gonna, it's gonna to challenge my own worldview and my, my own outlook. I think about, so I, I, just in my own personal life, right, I don't know about you, but we own a home, and I think our, our home has probably doubled in value in nine years because of inflation, right? It, it's twice, and right, that's great. Um, it's good for us. Uh, I am helping a family right now try and find housing, and the rental rate um, for anything that doesn't have holes in the floor and is bug infested, it's, it's nearly impossible to find them housing. And I think, right, what, what I am benefiting from is such pain right now for someone else. And, uh, and the answer isn't for us to go and sell our home, because um, then we couldn't find another home, uh, and Cheryl would kill me and <laughs> couldn't be your pastor anymore. <laughs> So that's not the answer, but I think the first step is, is paying attention. Yeah, acknowledging uh, that. Acknowledging that. What, what economic systems, right, are we benefiting from that we may not even see that harm other people? Right, and that's a great example because one of the things that we're trying to do in the city of South Bend is build more affordable housing and build more low-income housing. But where are we going to do that? Because people are concerned about their property values, and they don't want that to go down if there's a multifamily unit that's put in, if land is rezoned around them. Last year, we opened a place called Hope Avenue on the east side of South Bend near Edison Intermediate and Corby Homes. And a lot of neighbors were upset when we were planning to do that because they were concerned about their quality of life and their property values that would go down. But I recently had a conversation with a woman, and I had to laugh at her because she asked me, uh, when is Hope Avenue going to open? And I said, honestly, it's been open for my nine months now. And she just hadn't even noticed. She was worried there'd be people laying on the sidewalk, a huge increase of crime that would be very noticeable. But she couldn't even tell that people were there. And we hope to use that as a model across our city as we do more permanent supportive housing, providing uh, large-scale housing, like 20 units at Hope Avenue with so supportive case management that's there on site 24 hours a day. Uh, we want to do more of that across the city. But it means acknowledging that we are all invested as a community, that we care about our, our own property, but we also care about those who are suffering, those who are vulnerable, those who are in need of support. And it takes that commitment to be willing to recognize that we don't care just about our own wealth, about our own safety and security, but we want to open our community to others, and we want to care for people who are struggling. And the reality is across South Bend, we see this issue it's not just a downtown problem, but we know that there's people in all of our neighborhoods, even up here around Clay, where rent prices are going up, where people are having to stay with relatives couch surfing, if you will, that there's places that people need that supportive environment. And so it's a commitment that we make uh, as a city and for you as, as people of God, trusting that God will not only provide for you, but that you hear this message from, from Obadiah to Edom and that we don't want to be like Edom, 
to be, try to just protect ourselves, to secure ourselves, and to ward off anyone else, and to be exclusive from others. We're invited in, in Obadiah to consider and to look at our own lives and to pay attention to where we benefit and where we have the opportunity to trust God and to help others. Yeah. We've, uh, we've talked throughout this series, God set apart God's people, bless them to be a blessing. And all of the, all of the prophets are inviting them to reclaim that story. Well, you've been blessed, but now you're sitting on that blessing. No, you, you were blessed not to just be comfortable. You were blessed to be a, a blessing. So we probably ought to get to hope um, and, uh, and talk about hope. In verses 15 and 16, we get this sense that God is at work, that God is going to restore God's people. Um, it's almost like an invitation to, to participate in this. Where do you, Carl, where do you see hope? Where do you see possibility? Where do, you, where do we get involved with what God's doing? I know one of the questions you get a lot is about a panhandling, when you see people on the street corner at the intersection asking for money, and, and sometimes people want to just be a blessing to them and just give them some money if they have that, uh, to be able to trust that God will hold them accountable for how they use that. Uh, that's one strategy, a way to be a blessing to others. Uh, my preference is to give to organizations like St. Margaret's House, that's a day center for women or the YWCA uh, that works with victims of domestic violence, or a youth service bureau that helps house uh, young people ages 16 to 22 if they are in need of housing. Great uh, other resources that we have in our community. But then even thinking about taking the blessing to another level and the relationships that we talk about, that, that cousin, that familial relationship, God invites us to extend to everyone regardless of our genetic uh, connection. When I sit down for a meal with someone, not just give them a couple dollars, not just give to an agency, but actually sit down with someone and talk to them, hear how their day is going, hear what their next steps are, offer to pray with them, to truly become a friend to them. Not only am I really being a blessing to them, but I'm being blessed also because I'm learning about what it means to, to ask uh, for faith and trust from someone who's living that out day to day, that in my own comfort and security, I'm able to learn from someone else. It's a, it's a two-way relationship where I'm blessed also with that opportunity to receive from those who are uh, helping me grow my faith. Yeah, yeah. Obadiah, uh, toward the end, he says this, but on uh, Obadiah 17, but on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame. Esau will be stubble, and they will set him on fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. Now, if you look at just these last verses, this is, this is, it sounds pretty bleak, right? Oh my gosh, it's, it's destruction. But if you look at the first couple verses, there's an invitation in there because what God is going to do to restore is ultimately to send Jesus, right? God is going to send Jesus to show God's people God's way. So in these verses is an invitation, a hope. You know what? Jesus is going to show us the way to rebuild community, to, to build the kind of community that God wants where we all feel included and welcomed and loved and safe. And Jesus is going to show us how to do that. We'll also find the language, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the, the day the Messiah comes, the day, the day for us in our understanding that Jesus comes and God's justice. And so the, the question I think becomes, how, how do we respond? What, what can we do? And I, I, think, I think we start here. I love Carl's example of just go talk to somebody. Recognize them as a, as a brother and sister. Learn more from them about, about their plight. Because God awakens us to the plight of others. 
to see others as our sisters and brothers. It starts there. And then the very last line of Obadiah says this, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Not ours. The kingdom will be the Lord's. And we know from Jesus the promise of what that kingdom looks like if we want to participate in it. Jesus teaches and he heals and he steps across the lines to make sure that everybody is included. He reaches out to make sure that everybody is fed. He reaches out to make sure that no one feels like an outsider, that everybody knows that they are a part of God's love. Any last thoughts, Carl, as we... Yeah, we're trying to yeah. do that as United Methodists, so not just as individuals, but as congregations I've mentioned, including a Grace UMC and Emmanuel UMC. We're all working together. How can we as United Methodists be able to do things like if you were involved a decade ago with uh, Project Warm, or we're looking at other opportunities that we have this winter to be able to work together as United Methodists to care for people who are in need. But then recognizing that the kingdom is the Lord's, it means working with other churches too across South Bend to collaborate and find projects to do together. I know you all have done the poverty simulation with Christ the King Lutheran. That's one of many other examples of how we're trying to work together, recognizing the Lord's kingdom, wanting to work with all followers of Jesus Christ to listen to this message of Obadiah and care for those who are in need around us. Yeah. As I think of Obadiah, I just want to close and leave us with, with sort of four steps today, four, four really sort of simple things. We want to take this message and, and live it as we're invited. Um, I think we take this from Obadiah. Pay attention. Notice. Care. And do something. Pay attention. Not just be comfortable and, and figure if I'm comfortable, everything's good, but to, to, to pay attention to what's happening in the midst of the world. And not just pay attention, but to notice. So, so when we see it, not just to walk by and be like, there's nothing I can do about that, but to notice and say, oh, there is hurt and pain there. How are we as a community, we as a society, caring? And then the next step is how can I be a part of, of that care? And not just how can be a part of it, but, but how, do I, how do I do something to make a difference? And so I'll be available outside in the cafe after worship. If you have questions about housing, about homelessness, I'd be glad to answer that. If you have, uh, have some resources also, if you'd like some more information about different ways that you can notice what's going on and begin that process of caring and doing something, I'd be glad to talk with you afterwards. Let's uh, give God a big thank you for Carl being here with us today. And then I'm just going to invite you to put a hand forward while the band's coming back up. Let's just pray, pray for Carl in this, uh, this new role, this new ministry. Holy God, we give thanks for Carl Hetler and, and his witness, his faith, his, uh, his passion to, to navigate what are difficult spaces in an effort to share your love and your goodness to meet the needs of people where they are and to make sure they know they're loved. God, uh, help him to discern the path forward, surround him with, with goodness and energy and vitality in this, in this ministry, in this effort. Um, God, work to soften hearts of those who, who uh, uh, need to be invited into the space of caring in our community. God, through Carl, through our joint ministries, through the church, in Michiana, may your communities be transformed as we seek to share the love of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.